You're listening to the Outspoken Bible, a podcast from Scottish Bible Society with Fiona Stewart, Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Before listening to today's episode of the Outspoken Bible, we wanted to make you aware that the subject matter, suffering, might be distressing or difficult for some listeners. Please take care of yourself and be alert to your responses as we talk. A good starting point for helping you to do this is the Beyond Disaster resource that we mention in the episode. This free-to-download Bible-based resource is written to help people bring their emotions to God in times of crisis, and you can find it at scottish.bible. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 6 of The Outspoken Bible with me, Fiona Stewart, and my friends Jen Robertson and Neil Glover. I've got a quick question for you before we start. What's giving you joy today? Oh, joy? Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a new member of the team with us. That's given me joy today. Nice. Amy. Welcome to Amy. Hello, Amy. Jen, what about you? My joy is a bit more basic. Um, I put up new bird feeders oh, in the garden. What a good feeling. To, ext- to extend the range of the oh. food I was supplying for the birds. So I was only giving um, sunflower hearts, but we've now got niger seeds and a... Uh, Oh, um, what else? Well, peanuts. Peanuts. popular in the east end of Glasgow. Mealyworms. Oh. Yeah, the little sparrows. Yes. Love them. I've now got birds coming to my feeder, which is a source of joy for me. And also, I've got a lovely clematis climbing up my shed. We're so middle aged. <laughs> it's giving me great joy to look at it. <laughs> I was jealous of your clematis on Instagram, I know. I know. Fiona, because mine is full of buds. There's loads and loads of buds, but none of them have flowered yet. Yes. And yours is all white and flowery. Green, green fingers. Good. Do you talk yeah, to your plants, to get... Fiona? Uh, no, that's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. It might not be. It might yeah, give me calm down. It'll be good for your voice. I don't know. Anyway, today we're, we're in part two of our three-part series on Beyond Disaster. So we're linking into those resources. I'm just laughing at the way you ended that conversation. I know you're trying to move on, Fiona. But the idea of, <laughs> yes, I can't completely shoot down the the, uh, the talking to plants <laughs> thing, but it is completely ridiculous. But let's move on. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what I feel. So, yeah. So we're in part two. What are we of, doing? Uh, our three-part three-episode uh, series on Beyond Disaster. So those are linked to those resources from Scottish Bible Society. And today we're going to move on to discuss the how of suffering, thinking about kind of practical and biblical ways of dealing with loss and trauma when we encounter it and when we are helping other people as they encounter it too. That's what's coming next. But before that, we've got Glover's Off. So Glover's Off this week is about about glebes. I don't know. Do you, people know what a glebe is? Yeah. Is it the area around a man? It's a bit of land. Yeah, it's a bit yeah. of a, it's a bit of land that's that's normally in in olden times used to be allocated to a minister. So it was a way of a minister being able allowed, allowed to supplement their income. So um, you wouldn't pay the minister so much, but a local land landowner would give them a bit of land, and then you could, I don't know, uh, rear cows or sheep or horses or whatever, and and you could supplement your income. And nowadays, very few ministers farm. Although I did know a minister in Blantyre, industrial Blantyre, who had put um, cows into her back garden. I wasn't sure if it was the the um, the glebe or not. But most of no, us... It wasn't just any cows, Neil. What was it? Belted, belted galloways. That is really important. Were they, were they prize cows? Well, I don't know. They were belted galloways, which are quite a rare breed. And I have a soft spot yeah, for I don't them. have any belted galloways. 
I've never reared cows, but what happens is the church then rents it out to local farmers. So I was in a meeting just just now with uh, two folks. One of the persons are property convener. One of them is an old farmer in our congregation who has lived fields and glebes all his life. He, he talked about how he'd been involved in 60 years worth of land disputes in the Scottish agricultural sector. I mean, that's a lot of fighting over mm-hmm. land that he's been on. Mm-hmm. And this guy had so much knowledge. We had a discussion about electric fences. We had a discussion about where boundaries lay. We had a discussion about apparently horses are really, apparently you've got to hate horses because they wreck your fences didn't know this um another thing is if you need stones and rocks taken out your land a good good move is to try and get someone who'll actually buy your rocks from you so even though they're doing you a favor they still pay you so we talked about this and i realized that that land has been massive in this guy's life but but not only that, land is a massive thing in in, in Scotland. Uh, there's a, a just a guy who's just he lost his seat as an MSP. A guy called Andy Whiteman wrote mm. a book called "The Poor Had No Lawyers," and it's about the history of land ownership in in Scotland and what a massive issue that is. Mm-hmm. He tells the story in it of uh, a, a poor cotter one day walking across uh, a piece of land, and uh, the landowner comes up to him and says, "What are you doing here? What are you doing on my land?" And um, the cotter says, well, why is it your land? And the, the landowner says, well, because I inherited it from my father. And the cotter says, all right, okay, how did your father get the land? Oh, he inherited it from my grandfather. And he kept going through the great-grandfather and great-great-great and so on until eventually he said, and who did he get it from? And uh, the landowner said, well, um, I think he fought for it, to which <laughs> the cotter said, well, I'll fight you for it now. <laughs> But it's it's a little parable about the contentious nature of the land. And it's something that is very, very deep in human psyche and human relations. And if you read the Bible, of course, land is massive. It's one of the major themes of the Old Testament. Who owns the land? Um, the word, the Hebrew word for land, ha'aretz, is one of the, the big, big words of the Old Testament. In fact, one of the, the big newspapers today in in uh, Israel is called Haaretz. The land is huge. The hope for land, the hope to have your own land, lies deep within the idea of biblical promise. And yet what's, what's really interesting is that when Jesus comes as God who owns the whole earth, of course, he says of himself one time, the foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This incredible thing land is so important having land means you have a future and yet when jesus comes he chooses to be landless Mm. and why does he do that a rhetorical question it was a rhetorical question it was just leave that one hanging i think the answer is to do with self-emptying and fragility and vulnerability and loss would be my starting point fascinating fascinating and i suppose that pursuit of the land become can become an unhelpful thing, can't it? I think I think that I think the word unhelpful is doing quite a lot of lifting. I there. know. I think it's doing quite a lot of lifting. I know. I know. I'm yes, just it's massive, about isn't it? it? A number of things. Yeah, yeah, it's huge, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. All it's it's all it's so much. It's about the land. Yeah, I've been working for another organisation, and we as part of the thing I've been doing, we read a story by Tolstoy called um, "How Much Land Does a Man Need." Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever read that, and it's about a man who's he's promised as far as he can walk, as long as he can walk out and walk back in the course of a day, he can have that much land. And of course, he always wants to go that little bit further, 
and I don't want to be a plot spoiler, but basically he dies, and in the end of the day, all he needs is six foot of land that where they put his body. But it's about how we have this desire always for more and more and more. Anyway, that was that. Thank you, Neil. That was great. Uh, we're going to go on and think about the how. We're going to, in a moment, um, think about those beyond uh, disaster resources that SBS has. I was actually at an event last night. It was at an online um, well-being event run by some psychologists, some clinical psychologists. And it struck me, I think, coming into today, having read those Psalms that we've set up, so Psalm 6 and Psalm 109, um, it, it struck me how easily we compartmentalise a psychological understanding of grief and suffering from a biblical understanding. But lots of things that were being talked about in that that setting were thoroughly biblical ideas. And I think there's some of the things that we'll touch on today around our physical well-being, our bringing the pain into the light, um, prepared preparedness to be honest about that um and a lot of that comes up and and chimes very much with those those uh, psalms that we've read jen you've taken part in a course run by not run by sbs but but by somebody in your church i think do you want to tell us about that the trauma healing course yeah so one of one of the part somebody who's part of my church family went on the facilitators course to do bible-based trauma healing and then she has now led two groups in our congregation. We've called it um, Healing Hearts because being asked to come in a Bible-based trauma healing course may not be the, the most appealing thing to go on. And it's for anybody. It's for everybody, in fact, because we've all experienced loss. However, we, however small we may think that is or however significant it is in our life, uh, loss is part of our life. And so the course helps us to think about why that happens, um, just like we've been talking about this week and, and last week chatting about um, grief and loss in our lives, it helps us think about how we listen to other people in their loss and support them. Uh, it helps us do some yeah, mild creative activities, think about our own losses and talk to God about them. And just personally for me, I'm always quite sceptical going in the course. I've done many, many courses in my life and I just thought, how could this be any different from anything else I've done? And totally to my surprise, and I, and I don't mean to be overly spiritual in this, but God really helped me with a loss in my life that, that is decades ago that it happened. And it completely shifted my thinking. Um, where God was in that loss and move me on uh, to, to help me deal with that, even the effects now I was still feeling from that loss I experienced as a child. So if you if you come across <laughs> Bible-based trauma healing, if you have the opportunity to be part of that, I would really encourage you to mm -hmm. do so. Mm -hmm. I, I wonder, there, there is something I think in, in what you said there about how we view our loss. Sometimes we can kind of categorise it and, and maybe not feel that it's appropriate for us to engage with this kind of thing. Is, is that something that, that either of you would chime with i think i think it's so important i i there's an insight that rob bell has in his book uh, drops like stars where he says that the bible is far less interested in the question of why of suffering we touched on that last week there's not many verses that that talk about about reasons for suffering in a kind of philosophical way but there are loads and loads of verses which are a response to suffering. The Bible is far more interested, I think, in, in how we open up to suffering. And one of the kind of very bold insights that, that Rob Bell has, which is a, a kind of almost a, 
a quite a stark thing is he almost views suffering as a creative act, as something which opens up possibilities into our lives, which were not previously there. I recently read a book on um, depression in which it's a really good book by Matt Haig. It's called Reasons to Stay Alive. It was recommended to me by a returning missionary who'd suffered from depression. Anyway, Matt Haig says the same thing. He says that suffering for him and depression does not only subtract, but it also adds. And, And what happens into that space in the Bible where suffering happens is that people speak and people speak words of response to suffering and even the most difficult words where people are screaming at God as Job does and we're going to come to that later they are still acts of faith because they have behind them an implicit understanding that at the very least God is listening there there's Mm -hmm. a verse in Psalm 40 that I came across really noticed for the first time today which is a Psalm 40 uh, verse let me get the exact verse because I had to I had to look up exactly where it was. Yes, Psalm 40, verse 6. Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but you have given me an open ear. And I was intrigued by that phrase that God has given us an open ear. Now, that's from the New Revised Standard Version. So I was wondering if that was a particular gloss or, or idiomatic look at the Hebrew. And it, there's a footnote which said, literally in the Hebrew, it says, ears you have dug for me. It's almost as if God went out with God's spade one day and dug into the very being of God a couple of ears, which were primarily intended so that God would listen to me. That's that's what that verse means in its most literal sense. And, and that implicit understanding that God would be prepared to dig a fresh set of ears in order to listen to me is an implicit part of the faith of these, this this tradition of lament mm-hmm. where you say to God, I am suffering and I am not going to be silent. I am going to tell you. And somehow, God, I believe you are mm-hmm. listening. I th- it's really interesting because I found this morning, I, so Psalm 6, which is one of the, the Psalms that we've we've mm. highlighted for today, I, I was recording it. So I was reading it out loud. And Jen, this maybe resonates a bit with what you're about to tell us about the, the creative response stuff. Um, so as I was reading it out and recording it, I was kind of thinking about how I was doing that. Um, and I found that, and we've, again, we've spoken about this before as well, haven't we? The power of the spoken the spoken word. But as I was speaking it out, I, I recognized there was a transition came towards the end of it. So so it's this pouring out of pleading to God, isn't it? And asking for mercy. And then it switches to that point in verse eight, where it says, away with for me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. So the psalmist has just mm. talked about the fact I can't stop weeping. I'm weeping all night. My couch is drenched with tears. And then and then there is this shift that happens for him. And I found as I read it out, I, I felt the difference in that. rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath have mercy on me Lord for I am faint heal me Lord for my bones are in agony my soul is in deep anguish how long Lord how long Turn, Lord, and deliver me. 
save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from his grave? I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. So what began as a a, a dark place, I think it, it doesn't reach a neat resolution, but it reaches some sense of grappling with faith and and having confidence that it is it is that you're weeping it doesn't go unnoticed i think hmm. yeah and we need to that happens in psalm 109 mm -hmm. as well where for verses and verses and verses there's just so much anger and hatred the writer is expressing a deep anger to people who have caused the suffering and, and the way they've beha behaved. And then there comes a switch when they move into, uh, verse 21, but you, Sovereign Lord, help me for your name's sake. But if you just get to verse 21, where you'd have missed all that important anger. Now, I really struggled when I was reading it. I thought this is, this is hard to read. But when we think about loss and grief, it's important that we don't, rush away from those parts of it. And uh, one of the, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross uh, wrote many years ago now of the, which is called the, the cycle of grief and the, the different emotions, experiences we, we go through after, during grief. Um, and it's, they're not things we leave behind forever. We come back to them, but one of them is anger. I remember when I had my miscarriage, one of the, the things that I remember the most is the anger I felt. And that anger was totally directed at other mothers, really, who I felt, why are you a mother and I'm not? And at the time, I think I was maybe ashamed of that emotion or thought it was an emotion I shouldn't have. But if we're, we look at the cycles that Kubler-Ross talks about, the, the five different parts of this grief cycle, which are acceptance, denial, anger, bargaining and depression, Anger is one of them, and we'll come in and out of these emotions during our losses and our griefs. And we need to talk to other people about them. We need to think about ourselves and, and, and shout to God. I don't think I did that at the time. I, I didn't realise that I could do that. Um, God is totally capable of taking my shouting and my anger, even when it's directed at other people. And I think these are used a lot and talked about quite a lot in the Bible-based uh, trauma healing course. And that was incredibly helpful. And, and I, I have never read a psalm the way I've read this mm -hmm. one today, Psalm 109, and realising that, that well, this writer was expressing that anger of grief and loss. And that, yeah, and it, it makes me think about, you know, the idea that the psalms are the prayer book of the Bible, that, that when we don't have the mm -hmm. words ourselves, that, that as we speak those words out, mm -hmm. we, we find 
we find that there's a resonance for, for where we're, we are. Can I, can I come back to that cycle? Because we do talk about it as a cycle. One of the things I was aware of when I did that, that trauma healing facilitation course um, was, which I've done as well, Jen, which was that um, you, you can, you can, it's not a linear process, is it? So, th- so there's a talk about a false bridge. You know, you can you can kind of think you're getting somewhere in terms of moving on, uh, reaching that place of 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 you know feeling hope, but but sometimes that actually is a false bridge because you you need to go back through some of those processes again, those stages again. And I would think I think really that's a, that's a lifetime uh-huh. experience, and sometimes the language we use around grief and loss isn't helpful because we say, you know, have you got over it or? Um, are you, are you feeling better? No, these are all, I mean, I'm sad why people ask these questions, but it, those questions in themselves indicate that it's something that we leave behind, where actually grief is something that we we don't leave behind. It becomes part of who we are. And, um, you know, even years and years on, we'll go back into some of these emotions. And that's okay. It's not. It doesn't mean you're not grieving properly because we all grieve differently as well. That's important. The... the um... The, the spiritual writer John O'Donoghue, I, I read this passage yesterday, which I found incredibly liberating. He said, disbelieve any spiritual program that talks about stages of mm-hmm. something that you, you start. Normally, it's you start with some sense of dislocation and then you move through a sense of resolution and then and then you, you, you finalize with a sense of integration. And he said, disbelieve that. He said, because it does not respect the the complicatedness of the human experience to try and say that some part of your experience belongs to stage one and another part of your experience belongs to stage two is somehow to dislocate and to pull things apart which within us sit together and if you look at the psalms they're all bundled in together um John O'Donoghue quotes the, the great Dutch spiritual master, master Meister Eckhart, who we're allowed to quote because he was recently undeclared a heretic, so we're <laughs> okay there. Um, he said that the spiritual, if the spiritual life is a journey, he, uh, he said it was a quarter inch long and many miles Ooh. deep. And I love that idea that, that, uh, that, that the spiritual life, let's take the pressure off of having needing to move from A to mm-hmm. B. I remember somebody once uh, telling me about a discipleship course that they wanted to run and they wanted to sell it to parents. It was people on a gap year. And they said, let's say to your, um, let's say to these parents who are going to send their young people on this gap program, if your young person comes to us at this point here, we will have moved them to this point here. And I just thought, oh, that's mm-hmm. awful. This kind of sausage machine mm-hmm. approach to, his spiritual growth and Eckhart says no 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 he said it's, it's miles deep but it's only a quarter inch long and that's what's going on in these psalms here there's no program there's simply an exploration and an integrated way of the depths if I can just pick up on something else um, Fiona you, you mentioned the importance of speaking and I think it's so true that the everything here is given to God mm-hmm. and nothing is held back um, Psalm 6, um, I always associate with a friend of mine who wrote a, a musical version of this, which goes, My eyes are dim with weeping and my pillow soaked with tears. Very, very modal tune. And I'm, even though I was off key there, even if I sung it on key, it wouldn't be very different. And she wrote that in response to a time when her engagement was broken off by her fiancé. 
and the incredible pain and she resonated with that that very physical image my pillow is soaked with tears so Psalm 109 here is is one of what a commentary I read recently uh, said was one of the imprecatory psalms it's one of the psalms in fact it's the most vehement where people give their anger to God but at the end of the commentary what they said was, and the psalmist gives their justified anger and realizes it, that it's heard by God. And I wanted to say, well, can I also pray this psalm when it's unjustified? And I think the answer is I can. I don't need <laughs> to, first of all, make sure that some kind of independent arbitration authority has, has affirmed that my complaint is valid before <laughs> I get to say this psalm. Yeah. I get to say it even when I'm on an entirely self-deluded rant. Because that's the way that my unjustified anger Mm -hmm. is going to turn into some sort of redeemed humility Mm -hmm. and penitence. And and this psalm here, full permission to say it no matter what. One of the things that's going on in these psalms, and Fiona, you made a link with contemporary psychology uh, earlier. One of the things that contemporary psychology or pop psychology often talks about is the need to lean in. Brenny Brown talks about that, Mm. that, that when we have pain, we lean into it. And this is exactly what's going on here. Mm-hmm. No matter what emotion we have, whether it's positive or negative, we are leaning in. We are going into the place and giving it voice and believing that God hears. And God is not going to reject us for our honesty, mm-hmm. no matter how unpalatable it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jen, do you want to tell us a little bit about, about your experience of, you, you alluded earlier to the that, that creative response. Yes, one of the weeks on the, I'll call it the Healing Hearts course, because it sounds a bit easier. A healing is important, not healed. And just what Neil said, you know, that that's, are you healed? And we might be healed, but uh, our bodies will still hold the the effects of the the loss and the damage. So our Healing Hearts course, one of the weeks, I'm not sure which week, maybe week four, uh, we were asked to respond to a loss that we'd experienced by painting or drawing. And it was very much emphasized, if you know, because we've got such an attitude as adults, particularly, haven't we? I'm not an artist. I can't draw. My drawing's rubbish. It's not about producing a wonderful piece of work, but the actual process of putting your feelings and experiences down onto paper in the form of a picture. And I do really, I love working with watercolors. It's just my favorite thing playing around with them. So the thing that I, I, and I suppose God had been helping me think about during the Healing Hearts course was about a loss I experienced when I was 11 years old. I was out with my gran shopping um, and when we came home to the house, just just before we opened the door, she had a massive stroke and fell back on the garden path. Um, I think she probably died instantly as an 11 year old. I didn't know what was going on. As you can imagine, that's quite traumatic. And um, eventually some neighbours came to help and they put me in, into the lounge, which was just next to the door. So I stood as an 11 year old watching um, paramedics working with my gran and, and then being taken away in an ambulance. This is in the 1970s, late 1970s. Now that loss, I knew when I was in my 50s was still um, not, yeah, there was parts of it that I hadn't really dealt with. And so as I painted this picture, 
And I drew myself as an 11-year-old standing in that window, looking out for what was happening to my gran. And I began to draw Jesus standing beside me. And something very, I just, for the first time ever, I realized that God had been completely with me in that moment, all those years ago. And something I carried with me, looking back in it previously, had been that I was alone. So my mum my and dad were at work. My brother was out doing what brothers do. You know, other, my sister and other brother weren't there. And I saw it as a completely, I was completely alone. I, you know, I, nobody was there to help me. And for the first time ever, I knew that God had been with me in that moment. Mm-hmm. And it also meant, so that was a healing for me. But it meant I was able to have a chat with my mum, who's still alive in her 80s, and to say to her, you know, mum, that day with Nana, um, Jesus was with me. And I think for both of us, that was healing. Because I I don't need to tell you how, as a family dynamic, that has affected us and how my mum felt about her child being with her mother the day she died. There's lots lots of emotions and complicated feelings around it. So I'm very grateful to God to, to, that he did that with me. And I'm not really someone who would say, oh, look, this, this amazing spiritual moment happened, but it, it did, and it was real. Mm-hmm. And it was because we very simply looked at the Bible, talked about our losses and gave space, gave space mm-hmm. for something that happened all those years ago for me to say to God, what, what was going on here, really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that, because it, mm-hmm. it was... Um, it's quite a vulnerable thing to do, isn't it? To, to share something so personal, but I'm sure lots of people listening, certainly as I listen to that, yeah. it, it brings things up for me. And that, that's, it's, um, that's a helpful thing. I think what's really important, we've said it again and again today, that don't categorize your loss. Your loss is something that yes. you've lost. And, and I hear so often people say, and I've said it myself, oh, that, that's, that's not important, isn't it? Compared to other people's losses. And we, we will never not feel that, I don't think, because we, we do see other people's losses and things mm-hmm. how could I cope with that situation. But we do need to deal with our own losses, however we may <laughs> insignificant we may think we are, because if they affect us and hurt us, we, we need to work, work them through and continue to work them through throughout our life with God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and there's also the fact that that lends empathy, doesn't it, to, to hearing other people's loss. Um which brings me, I think, to the to the Matthew twenty six verses that that we looked at. Which is, I mean, I was really struck again by the, by the "stay here and keep watch with me," the, the and the fact that the disciples then kind of fail in that, don't they? They 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 mess it up a bit. But but Jesus, in his moment of of profound grappling with what's about to happen, that there is something of the "stay here and keep watch with me," share this grief with me. And I think, yeah, I'm just thinking there that if Jesus needed that, how much do we need it? He needed his friends and, mm. and we need each other. And another thing we did some work on in the, the trauma healing course is that careful listening. Now, some of us already have we've done lots of work on being careful listeners, but it was really good to think about that again. Good questions to ask. You know, like one that I remember that we talked about was, um, you know, how, what, what was what was the hardest thing for you and questions like that but, but also mm-hmm. that just sitting that I so often now say to people I don't have 
who are who are going through some kind of loss. I don't have any words, but I'm here. You know, I, I think even just saying that, when we think there's nothing to, we don't know what to say. We'll just say, actually, I don't know what to say. Um, and that's sitting together and being together and and not giving up. Even sending that message that says, you know, I'm still here. I'm still thinking about you. I'm praying for you. Um, if Jesus needed it. We need to do that for each other. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm so struck. I'm just just gripped by that image, Jen, of you as a girl looking out that window. Is it out of interest? Is that the house that you still live in that that happened at? Yes. Well, we we bought the we bought my parents' house, so we're back in the place that happened. Yes. So I can just picture that place and that that image so powerful of, of you as a girl and then Jesus coming in beside you. Mm. I mean, it's just, it's just such a, yeah, it just bowls you over as an image. And I suppose one of the invitations that comes into that story for all of us is to imagine that Jesus is beside us in all the equivalents for us, of us, you know, might not, it won't be staring out that particular window, but there'll be moments where we're just yeah. stood there. And that, that's a story that, that says faith comes in beside. Mm. I'm just struck by the the, the Matthew 26 um, passage, Fiona, that you mentioned. You know, the, the remarkable thing is that what happens in Jesus is that God says these Psalms to God's own self, that, that God becomes the one who screams to God. And, and that God says Psalm 6 to God. It's almost as if this this crazy thing that, you know, we talked about how God digs ears for his people. Well, actually, God digs ears to listen even to the father, digs ears to listen to the son. And I'm also I'm also struck by the fact that the question is not just Jesus, were you standing next to me? That we address to Jesus. That Matthew 26 also says, Jesus says to us, were you standing next to me when I needed you? as well it's mm. incredible mutuality within god i think that's a good place to leave it today actually just with that with that moment of silence there and jen in terms of jen's gems what do you want to say to us i want to say that everything we talked about today and we may have thought we may have thought that was for adults but it's it's for all ages including our children in fact maybe it's even more important that we learn as children, that God can hear our anger and our frustrations and our hate, even that we feel as children. Somebody once said to me, you know, God's big enough eh, with his arms open wide for us to run to him and bang on his chest and shout at him. And our, our children need to know that. And I certainly also needed to know as a child that God was with me, that Jesus got what I was going through. I don't remember him to saying that to me that's maybe just my memory but I didn't know it so those two things we, we can say to God exactly how we're feeling and we and we need to know that he's with us and he understands what we're going through and he's holding us close even though the thing doesn't get sorted out he's there right beside us mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly exactly 
Um, and it's also why I asked you the question about joy at the beginning, because I think there, there's a there's a link. There's a the link between sorrow and joy that we we sometimes um, ignore at our peril, I suspect. I'm going to draw things to a, a close. Um, so I'll just give you a minute to think about what your takeaway is. Whilst we do that, whilst you're doing that, uh, just for folk, if you're lead, reading ahead, then next time we're going to be talking about lament. So we're going to be digging into that, uh, a few psalms around that. So we're looking at Psalm 13, Psalm 46. Psalm 116 and then we're also going to just briefly touch on Revelation 21 verse 4 so Psalms 13 46 and 116 uh, is your homework if you're reading along with us what's your takeaway today Neil what's your takeaway there's there's two I mean I think the the biggest takeaway by far is that story that Jane just told um that's the one I'll remember from this podcast and and one for a long time I, I think as well, I just want to pick up on your very, very last sentence there where you said there's a link between the the, the pain and the joy. I think that's totally right. Um, Walter Brueggemann says that unless um, faith expresses the negative and makes space for the negative, then it then it will not. He actually says it won't find place for justice, which is an interesting thing uh, to say. But I think it's also true that if you do not find space for the negative, then you you do not um, find space for the positive. Mm-hmm. In fact, possibly the only way to begin to obey the scriptural injunction to be joyful always is also to be prepared to say the most difficult things to God. Those two things have to happen together. That there are two commands: say psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, which is in Ephesians, uh, and also in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. And those two things are are not just intention they actually need each other so that in order to get to the joy you have to say Mm. the the bad stuff as well great i mean i don't mean great but i mean great point thank you you do that's fine it's great it wasn't it was it's like one of these moments where someone puts this really painful thing uh up on on twitter uh you don't need to do this on facebook anymore but you know someone puts up this really painful thing and you you feel bad about pressing the like button but it's the only option you've got open to you i know exactly i have um thoughts all the time about what my responses need to be on facebook too many choices uh jen what's your takeaway i think what neil said about our anger that we feel in loss or grief not needing to be vindicated like it doesn't need to or it doesn't mm-hmm. need to be righteous anger it could be completely inappropriate anger uh, just going back yeah. to Psalm 109 and my own story of that anger I felt towards other mothers it was no uh, it wasn't right um but I, I can tell about it and also that going through that changed me as a person and increased my empathy um, to various people in different mm-hmm. circumstances that's what I'm going to take away. And just like everybody, I feel anger at times. It's just totally wrong towards certain people, but I can tell God all of it. Good. It's good. Well, I was challenged about the, the stages thing because I think I, although I know there aren't stages of moving through things, I think I often, <laughs> I like a stage because I quite like to, well, I like a stage, but I also like to accomplish <laughs> things and, and tick things off and achieve things. So I find that uh, helpful to think that, what was your quote, Neil, about stages? Don't trust anyone who tells you. If the spiritual life is a journey, let me get this exactly right. It's from Donna Donahue. Um, Meister Eckhart says that there is no such thing as a spiritual journey. If a little shocking, this is refreshing. If there were a spiritual journey, it would be only a quarter inch long, though many miles deep. It would be a swerve into rhythm with your deeper nature and presence. The wisdom here is so consoling. Brilliant. 
brilliant. So I'm going to stop trying to leap on stages and go back and revisit things. So thank you very much to both of you and look forward to speaking next time. So next time will be our third part in this series and we'll be thinking about lament uh, with the Psalms that we've mentioned, um, considering how our expression and our complaint is an important part of that grief process. So thank you again and we'll see you next time. Bye.